Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, uh, on a lovely Monday morning, uh, looking fall-like and crisp outside my Warwick home. Uh, I am joined by my two usual co-conspirators. First, the sports director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI, Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen, Coity, how we living? Living good, man. Living good. Uh, we're getting closer to Thanksgiving, which I can't believe. Uh, but that means we're starting to get into the swing of things. The college hoop season, which is fun. Um, high school championship season is almost over, which for uh, all three of us, I think, is uh, a relief. It's fun. Fun to cover. But, yeah, it's a it's a relief because it's a busy time of the year. Great time of the year in the sports world. Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday. I always look forward to it. Uh, Our other co-conspirator, the sports director at WPRI and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch. Gordon, Maury, how are we doing this morning? Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Uh, Feels more like college basketball season out there now, now that the temps have dipped below 60. Uh, And uh, as cliche as it is, the play is starting to heat up. You know, Maury is, uh, we're, we're on Zoom, so we can see each other. We're not actually in the same room. And we got to say, Maury's got the fresh fit Eagles, former Super Bowl champions hat on. I think he's trying to manifest something for this year. What do you think? Yeah, he, he also has a dog tail wagging in his face right now. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's our guy, Archie, making a guest oh, appearance yeah. on the pod. Oh, yeah. Archie's not, Archie's not camera shy. She takes after her father. That's, that's a wonderful um, thing. But uh, yeah, he's got a got a friend here. We got the dog niece in town as well. So if you hear a little little rumbling, a couple squeaks of toys, uh, please allow the dogs to play. Uh, they are the they are the best. But we um, always we always welcome co stars on the podcast. It's a beautiful oh, thing, especially oh, when they're cute. Always do for sure. We got a black lab and a golden retriever, so yeah. it doesn't really get much better than that. No, beautiful. two great breeds of dogs for for anyone who who's had dogs or had friends who had dogs. Those are two A pluses. Like they're great around kids, they're great around people, just great dispositions. So, Maury, you are winning today. I would say. Hopefully, yeah. the birds can get it done tonight. We'll see. Monday night football. Uh, we have some Monday night basketball in action um, that we will go over uh, as we get into the pod, uh, guys. I want to start obviously because the first full week of college hoops is down. Uh, you know, we debuted last Monday and uh you know we've seen all of our teams play a couple times at least already um you know just wanted to go over some general impressions we'll start with Providence uh who is 2 and 0 really got pushed by Ryder uh on their opening night when they raised the Big East championship banner and a sweet 16 banner uh looked a little better against Stonehill over the weekend uh, a little more comfortable victory particularly in the second half uh Providence really hit the gas um, you know, I know you guys were in the house at the dunk. Uh, Maury certainly was there on Saturday. Uh, and I saw that you had a tweet at one point that I think was a really good observation. It's something you hit on in the preseason pod. Uh, Providence really took off uh, when they shortened the rotation in the second half. It's an 89-65 win over Stonehill. I, I think you said that they were minus eight in the first half to this point in the year and plus 33 in the second half to this point in the year. And a big part of that is obviously Ed Cooley trying to play guys, get some experience, uh, you know, foster some growth. But when it comes to winning time, he's already got in mind the six or seven guys that he's really going to play down the stretch. Oh, no. And you have to, Bill. You have to have you have to have that seven, maybe eighth guy uh, that you're willing to play. And Tuesday night was not a night you could afford to lose uh, if you're Providence. You know, you're hanging a banner. You've got so much momentum, so much positivity around the program. And to lay an egg on night one uh, would have been quite the gut punch um, if you're PC. But, um, yeah, it's been striking so far. Ed Cooley's played nine played nine guys in the first half. The opener against Ryder, just seven down the stretch in the final 20 minutes. Then the next night he plays 10. Corey Floyd's available, and then he only plays seven. Uh, in the second half as well. Um, We asked them straight up last year before the URI Texas Tech Week that they really exploded, and we said, okay, this team's for real. Um, We asked them, like, do you know your rotation? Uh, And he said, I have a damn good idea what what my rotation's going to be Uh, at that point in the season. I think it's been – it's normal, Ed, to play nine, ten guys, to give guys uh, an opportunity to play early in the game, get their feet wet. 
But any good coach will tell you, uh, if you can get seven or eight to play consistently, that continuity will pay off. Um, and it definitely paid off, and they, they got a little lucky uh, down the stretch there in the second half against Ryder. Uh, we know the word luck and Friars go together. The lucky uh, Friars have yep. returned. <laughs> Apparently they're like sixth in that metric already this season oh through two gosh. games or whatever the heck it is. So, really? Yeah, I, I don't yeah, know. Where, where's, where's our friend know. Ken Palm is a fraud on Twitter? You know, we, know. we're going we're gonna to hear from all the anti-Ken Palm stands now. Here we go. That's great. And Goodman made a, uh, a little doubleheader swing on Saturday. He was there at PC on Saturday. So yep. I think the, stu- the students had quite a ball with him pregame, uh, giving him his fair due. Good. But, Jeff Goodman, uh, Jeff Goodman, co-founder of the Field of 68. He was in Buffalo last year uh, at the Friars Regional. And I remember at one point, I think it was during the second game, where they were absolutely crushing Richmond. Uh, some Friar fan probably overserved, about 10 rows behind. Whole second half, nothing about the game. Just, Goodman, you suck. Goodman, are we good yet? Goodman, what's wrong with you? It's like, guys, you're winning. You're about to go to Sweet 16 for the first time in 25 years. And what you want to do is yell Jeff Goodman? Pathetic, fellas. Pathetic. He lives rent-free in the, in the minds of Friar fans. Rent-free. He really does. He sure does. He really does. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be the key going going uh, forward now. You know, they're going to they're gonna wallop Stonehill, uh, even though it's a Stonehill team that can score. Things get serious this upcoming weekend for the Friars, and don't know if you can get away with, with an extended lineup in the first half against a team like Miami who went to the Elite Eight last year, or other teams who they might see in St. Louis or Maryland. Yeah, Cody, spin that forward. Just obviously they got a big weekend coming up after Stonehill at Cooley's alma mater. Uh, you face Miami at Mohegan Sun, uh, and then you could face either Maryland or St. Louis in that second game. Um, and as we said on the season preview edition of the pod, three teams who really, if if it breaks right for Miami and St. Louis, uh, you know, Maryland, St. Louis, sorry, you could see all three of those teams in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, that'll be a good early season test for the Friars for sure. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that this weekend we'll probably see something a little bit more set when it comes to, okay, what are the Friars going to, you know, put out there in the first half, put out there in the second half. Um, I'm not surprised. This is sort of like the, you know, but I, I, I even if you do see something set this weekend, I wouldn't be surprised going forward through, you know, non-conference play to see Ed Cooley maybe make some changes, maybe make some more tweaks, you know, because I, I think this is more of a typical Ed Cooley figuring out the rotation kind of team. I think last year, you know, the URI Texas Tech week, early December, right? First week. Yep. I, I think at that point, and this is probably why they took off so much, is because you had older guys that you you sort of knew, okay, this is what they can do. Here's how the pieces fit. It was a little earlier, I think, than usual for Providence, because I think usually Ed will use, you know, an extended period of non-conference play. He might make another tweak or two, whatnot. And then by conference play, it's like, okay, here's my guys. Here's the rotation. Here's the seven or eight I'm going to put out there. And that's what I'm going to ride going forward. Um, You know, the that's the interesting part is this weekend, the opponents that you have. You know, how how much do you want to have set there? You've got another game, obviously, against Stonehill on Tuesday to figure that out. Um, you know, but I think all that being said, I, I think he has an idea of of who he likes, who he wants out there, you know, who's going to be, you know, getting the minutes. Um, and so far, I think you're seeing some of the flashes of some of this young talent that you have. You know, so far, I, I've been really impressed, guys. Uh, you know, I asked Ed Cooley about this after the opener. I completely botched the question, but I asked him about um, Devin Carter. And just I, I thought one of the momentum shifts in the Ryder game was late first half. They were kind of searching a little bit. And then Carter has a steal and and a layup. And then he has another steal. And I'm like, that kind of effort, I think, can snowball. And it kind of did out of the locker room in the second half. Mm. And the athleticism that that young man has, like, whew. Man, oh man, that can that's that's special. You know, I know we we talk a lot about I think Bryce Hopkins, you know, coming into the season so far. I think he's been smooth as advertised. You know, the the kid's got, you know, uber talent. But Carter's a guy to me that really has has shown out so far. And I haven't even mentioned the reverse dunk yet, which was, you know, the highlight play of the game on Saturday. Pretty strong, no. It, it yeah. was. It yeah. was. Uh you know, <laughs> so certainly that's uh 
you know, I, I don't want to say that's sort of like the the template for an SEC guard, but that's kind of what you would imagine it to be, you know, aggressive, physical, quick. Um, you know, that conference really has sort of an identity where their guys are, are just, you know, they they reflect the football mentality in that conference, you know, and, and you could see that in a guy like Devin Carter, who the first game against Ryder, especially in the second half, when, when Providence got back into the game, took the lead, uh, you know, his influence was certainly felt there. Uh, the guy who played a little better, uh, you know, in their second game was was Jared Bynum, who really struggled in the first one. Uh, you know, looked like a guy who was number one on the scouting report, maybe for the first time, and you know, squeezed a little bit against the Bronx. He was one for nine. He had a couple shot clock violations in the last three minutes. You know, Providence really didn't do a great job of closing that game out, and and ultimately needed Alan Powell to trip over the logo at the amp to to secure it. It was a a, a wild finish. Uh, but Bynum was much better uh, in the second game against Northeastern, 21 points, nine assists. Uh, as Ed Cooley said, he he pulled on a Superman cape in the second half. And, you know, early on, as Ed is sort of experimenting and trying to figure out who's going to fit where, those are the guys you need. You need Jared Bynum. Ed Croswell had an undisclosed injury. Uh, Maury could shed more light on that. Um, you know, but obviously you're going to need your older guys to to sort of pull the guys who haven't been here or the guys like Raphael Castro, somebody like that is elevating into a different role. Um, you know, Jared Bynum is is critical in that, and, and I think he was really important uh, on Saturday. Maury, what do you have on Croswell? Yeah, it looked like uh, jammed his finger, uh, left pinky finger. I saw um, when Croswell came out, a couple of the guys like looked at his at his hand and then totally winced and looked away and couldn't couldn't look oh. at his hand anymore because I guess. Yeah. You know the way that his fingers were pointing. I couldn't exactly make out which fingers it was, but it was definitely either pinky um, or the ring finger on his left hand. He had to go to the locker room for a little bit, and uh, eventually came back and came in. Listen, he's one of the toughest guys. Um, you know, he came back in the game, he scored a couple baskets. He he's not somebody that um, will miss time uh, due to an injury. He's got to be he's got to be really hurt um, to not play. This is a kid that's. That's uh, thrived here at Providence. Uh, he's ready for his fifth year. It seems like he's ready to take over that starting center job. And uh, no, Ed's as Ed's as tough as they come. Uh, been watching him since he was a freshman at St. Joe Prep, and he was about six inches shorter, but he was the same weight. Um, yeah, right, right. And uh, the same the same bully. His hands have gotten a little bit better. Uh, his body's obviously gotten better. His footwork as well. Um, but he's always been a great leader on the court, and he gives you everything you, you've got. He's got. Yeah, uh, his second career double-double in the opener against Ryder. His first, Coity, was against URI. URI, right. With the Friars. Second career double-double with the Friars, I should say, in 61 games. Uh, Yeah, that first one coming off the bench against URI was was sort of where Ed Croswell established himself as a fan favorite in Providence. Uh, You know, when he dominated the Mitchell Twins all over the dunk at the time. Um, you know, and now I, I think you're right, Maury. He, he's definitely a guy who, you know, <laughs> short of not being medically cleared, we're going to see him out there. Uh, you know, and, and Providence is going to need him over the weekend, certainly, because you're playing against high major talent. Uh, this is similar to what they did last year when they went to Newark, beat Virginia, uh, beat Northwestern in a very competitive game, lost to Virginia. Uh, in a game where they really got smothered. That was that was one of the worst performances of the year, as it turned out. Um, you know, but th- that sort of set the stage for what they did later on when they got into that December stretch, Coit, that you talked about, uh, you know, with really good wins over Texas Tech, uh, you know, obviously beating Rhode Island and, and then building some momentum in Big East play. And, you know, you could see Providence doing that, continuing against Stonehill. Uh, you know, as we said, Ed Cooley's alma mater, but uh, he's not going to take it easy on the new Division One entry. You You can't imagine that. Uh, you know, Maury alluded to the doubleheader on Saturday. Uh, URI started that off at four o'clock, uh, and with another loss against Texas State, a, a good Texas State team. Uh, you know, a team that won twenty-one games last year has a two-time Coach of the Year in their conference. Um, you know, and if you saw Rhodey's first game against Quinnipiac, you, you basically saw the same thing against Texas State: turnovers and poor shooting. Uh, you know, and those are two things that. They're obviously going to have to focus on going forward. You are just not going to beat many teams uh, the way URI is playing on the perimeter right now. It is a guard-dominated. It's a guard-dominated game in college basketball. It always has been, uh, you know. And that group for URI at this point just collectively isn't good enough. 
They're, they're just not good enough right now. Whether that's talent, whether that's performance, we can debate that now. Um, you know, but through two games, they have really struggled. Yeah, no, they have. Um, you know, you, my, my big thing outside of outside of the results, and, and Brody fans are going to have to be really patient here um, this season. It's going to be really tough to win 12 games, tough to win 15 games. Um, in my weekly column on WPRI.com, I put I gave a, each team kind of three, three season predictions of like best case scenario, middle ground, worst case scenario. And I am, uh, I'm a little embarrassed that I, that I put 20 wins as the high water mark for this URI team. Uh, maybe I put too much stock in the fact that, you know, Archie Miller could really turn things around that quickly. He's got, you know, not a lot of talent. He's got guys that try, guys that hustle, um, but you can't have a, a team full of that. You can't have a team full of Malik Martins and Ish Leggett's and Sebastian Thomas's. Like, you need one or two of those guys on your team. Uh, they're about three or four dudes short. Um, and when Bra- and when Brayon Freeman starts the starts the year the way he he, he started, um, they've got no they've got no shooting ability out there. They've got nobody who you can get the ball and say, "Hey, go give me a bucket." Um, but, but here's what I'm going to focus on the next couple weeks, while this team continues to. Um, you know, gain some experience. Apologize for the dog in the background. Um, so I think it's it's the way that Archie Miller is going to go about trying to instill good habits. So I, I, some examples that come to mind. Sebastian Thomas goes right down the lane 15 seconds into the game on Saturday. Draws an offensive charge. Rayon Freeman in the game, Sebastian Thomas on the bench. Sebastian Thomas goes down and picks up another foul. Believe it was a charge. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, later in the first half. The next whistle, out. When guy, Ish Leggett, driving down the court on a, on a it was a three-on-two, drives on the right side of the rim, turns his back, looking at the left side of the, of the floor, and then tries to go back around to the right corner to hit a shooter in the corner, and the defense comes by and picks it off. Boom, Ish Leggett's rear end was on the bench five seconds later. You have to nip those things in the bud when you're a new coach. The way the previous regime was, it was clapping. It was go get the next time. The guys did not learn right then and there what they did. And I'm all about that. I'm all about addressing it, looking them in the eye, telling them what they did wrong, letting them sit on the bench, think about their mistake, and coming right back in. He didn't bench anybody for the rest of the game um, outside of Brayon Freeman. And we don't know the reason why. He Brown Freeman didn't play in the second half, but those are the types of things that I just I'm I'm just watching the coaching staff during the game and their reaction to things that happen, good or bad, rather than the actual result. If the ball goes in the rim, okay, but what was the process that that led up to that? Right, was it a good bounce pass? Did guards have have a plan when they got into the middle of the lane? I mean, 15 turnovers in the first half. Archie Miller said he's never been a part of a team like that. Um, and I think he knows that there might be some more games with 15 turnovers in the first half. That's just the way this team will go. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all, all about the, all about the ways that Miller will try to instill good habits, teach these players good fundamentals. Uh, and he's got a long way to go. Yeah, this was, this was always going to be about habits and accountability. And, and I think, you know, the last two years, they really struggled with both, uh, you know, and certainly, their performance on the floor showed that, uh, you know, right now they're turning the ball over on 28% of their possessions, which you really need to see come down. Uh, the three-point shooting, they're 13.6%. They're actually about a dozen teams in the country worse than they are from three, which is just alarming. Uh, you know, I really wouldn't want to watch those teams uh, on a nightly basis. Uh, you know, but Coit, I, I look at these guys and, you know, they are – uh, you know, I don't think any of us expected them to come out and, and be a well-oiled machine right away. Um, you know, that's that's certainly not, uh, you know, a fair ask. You, you look back at when Dan Hurley started here, taking over from Jim Barron, who had a very difficult last season. Dan Hurley lost his first five at URI. Uh, you know, his first win was actually uh, a double overtime game at Auburn, of all places. Uh, you know, well before Bruce Pearl, well before playing in a Final Four. Uh, you know, well before Jabari Smith, uh, Auburn was a, and also ran in the SEC, you know, after the Chris Porter days, uh, for people who don't remember him, look him up. He was a pretty dynamic player. 
Um, you know, but you've got you've got transition here, you've got growing pains here, you've got various circumstances married together to produce the two performances that we've seen from you or I, uh, you know, over the course of their first two games. Yeah, and I think patience is the key word. Maury said it, you said it, Bill. Patience is the key word. There's a plan here, right? And I, I know in today's world in general, people aren't patient. I want it uh, now. Give it to me now. Yeah. And I know that even in the college basketball world, you know, sometimes it's tougher to be patient because of the change in how you can rebuild a program with the fact that you have now a transfer portal that you mm-hmm. can quickly bring in guys and you think it's a quick rebuild, whatever. But Maury, he had great examples there of just the things that need to be fixed in terms of habits. Habits lead to a culture. Culture leads to consistency, and consistency is what they're looking for from this program. And yes, Archie Miller and his staff went into the transfer portal, but he didn't go in and get grad transfers that are supposed to be guys that are going to be playing right now, that are going to get you wins now, that whatever. He got younger guys. He got a lot of younger guys in the transfer portal that he feels that he's going to help transition and help with this rebuild toward the goals that they want to get to in year two, year three, whenever it is that Rhode Island peaks. And so it's a it's more of a typical rebuild of a program. And so I think patience is the key. But the more and more you establish those habits, again, it leads to where you want to get to. Um, and I, I think that's it's the right approach if you're if you're trying to rebuild a consistently competitive program like Archie Miller wants to have. Two guys that I think have been impressed with so far in terms of the youth um, I like the guys that they have, you know, in terms of the size. Like Abdu Sam comes in, and and I thought he played, you know, particularly well. Um, I can see you can see the flashes of talent from Alex Jiku too. Like those two guys, I thought, you know, there's there's flashes there. Um, and so I just wanted to note them because you know I I was I was fairly impressed that first game. You know, going to that bigger lineup in the second half, obviously there was something, some sort of a spark there, and. You know, you look for those sorts of things as you're going forward. I know Archie's searching for the right combinations on the floor, the right guys to put out there right now. There's a lot of that going on, you know, for him and the staff. Um, you know, but that was something that popped in the first two games at one point. Yeah, fair points to make. Obviously, Abdu Sam, guy who hadn't played before the season, he starts on opening night. He, you know, he's a mystery of of what he's going to bring. Uh, Alex Chiku is a guy who who was injured his first year at Alabama, and in his second year he only played in three games. Uh, you know, so you're curious about what you're going to see from him. He hadn't necessarily played regularly uh, in two years. I I see a guy who could be a shot blocker, who contests everything at the rim, who alters just about everything in the paint. I, I think they have something there in him. Does he have any offensive game? We'll find out. He, he's still a work in progress at that end of the floor. You would say. Um, you know, Brian Freeman is a guy who was an all-rookie player at George Washington last year, a preseason all-conference guy. You had to figure that if they were going to be good, he needed to be good. Um, and he struggled through two games, obviously. Uh, you know, did not start the second one, um, did not play much in the second one. Uh, you wonder what's going on behind the scenes there. We have availability at URI a little later on Monday. We'll try to flesh some of that out. Um, you know, but it stood to reason that if they were going to be halfway decent, you know, a 500-type team, a, a pseudo-competitor in the A-10, that, that he was going to need to play well. And and that hasn't necessarily happened yet. A uh, lot of basketball ahead of those guys. They play Stony Brook on Tuesday, and then they are off to the Caymans. I wish any of us were going with them to the Caymans. Uh, I wish. Uh, right? Right? Uh, I mean, seriously. Thanksgiving week in Cayman? You know, now that now – that, uh, now that the weather has turned a little bit, you know, Saturday was like 75. And then last night, covering Division Four boys soccer at Cranston Stadium when it's 40 and the wind chill is whatever it was. Uh, mm-hmm. I was feeling the Caymans a little bit. You know, give me a couple fruity drinks and, and a beach. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have refused, I, I don't think. Uh, no one wants to see me in the Caymans, but that's a different story for, for a different podcast. Um Let's go to Bryant, guys. Uh, Bryant was supposed to play Monday night. I was informed before this podcast by my two co-hosts that Bryant's game against Tiny Main Fort Kent has been canceled. And, gee, I wonder what that is. 
<laughs> After what Fort Kent saw Bryant do to poor little Thomas College in the opener last Monday, 147-39, a game that generated some national buzz. I, I saw some some wider spread college basketball pundits talking about that. And I wanted to get into that maybe more so than Bryant's win over Dartmouth, which was very impressive. Sharif Gross-Bullock played very well. Earl, Earl Timberlake played very well in that game. Uh, but that first game against Thomas, it's one of three non-D1s that Bryant has on the schedule. I know we talked extensively in the preview pod about Bryant's schedule, their difficulty getting games. Uh, that's a game that Thomas College should not play and Bryant shouldn't have to play. It's really that simple. They shouldn't be scheduling Bryant knowing that they could lose by 100 points, knowing that they're essentially a non-competitive team who the three of us could get minutes for. And Bryant should have opponents willing to play them. And, and it just goes back to the fact that coaches at that level, for one reason or another, tend to be a risk-averse group as a whole. Uh, you know, tend not to give opportunity to the little guy when possible, uh, you know, won't play a regional game because they're worried about recruiting. And now in this case, if you look at what Jared Grasso has done building this roster, you're concerned about recruiting against him in the transfer portal. That is a different animal than trying to recruit a four-year high school player. Uh, you could look at him and you could say, you know, look at Brian's facilities. It's a small school. You're going to be on the bus all the time. If you're a grassroots kid who's coming out for a freshman year, that's not a great pitch. If you're a boomerang guy who spent two or three years in another school and you're looking to get to the NCAA tournament and maybe have a bigger role, Jared can say, look what I did to Peter Kiss. Look what he did here. Look what Earl yeah. Timberlake's going to do here. Look what Sharif Gross-Bullock is going to do here. Um, you know, Look at my player development with a guy like Charles Pride, who is now a fourth-year player and is on the Jerry West preseason watch list among the best shooting guards in America. So I think now there is a different set of circumstances that goes against some of these low majors like a Bryant. And I think a lot of it has to do with the transfer portal at this point and not just direct four-year recruiting against them. Um, you know, and I think that's how we end up with Bryant 147, Thomas 39. It, it's just a very unfortunate byproduct of the business. Sure. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll jump in on this. Uh, <laughs> the way I think about it, these days, Bill, you know, you, you mentioned all the factors here with with the scheduling and the bigger pro programs avoiding the, you know, the mid-majors. But the way I think of it now is it's like when a boxer is has a great record, maybe undefeated, has a certain amount of knockouts, you know, is gaining traction. And everybody around is saying, you know, this is the fight that you should be taking, though. Here's the other opponent. Here's the number one contender that's that's making his way up. Right. You know, Pacquiao Mayweather. How long did everybody in the boxing world, when they were in their prime, call for Mackie, uh, Pacquiao and Mayweather? Right. And they wouldn't do it. Mayweather wouldn't do it. He's undefeated. Why would I take that? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go fight. I'm going to go fight this other guy. I'm going to go boost my record. I'm going to go boost my knockout total. I'm going to whatever. Yeah. And everybody's like, no. Take the fight. Take the fight. And then finally, you know, obviously he takes the fight later. The Pacquiao Mayweather thing's a disaster. And it was really dumb when they took it because it was way past its prime. Right. Yeah, past our primes. Right. The, the reason the fight, I think the about fight that. now is Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. Everybody wants yes. to see that one. They're on different promotional teams, different networks. They can't get together and make an agreement. Right. But the way I think about it is if you're really that that big fighter, if you're really that guy, you shouldn't be afraid to play anybody nope. or fight anybody and so if you're the bigger program if you are providence if you are yukon if you are boston college if you are even I, i'll even throw uri in there even though they are rebuilding right now but providence bc yukon big programs around here why take the bryant game take the bryant game if you are that good if you are the program play them play them I, you win, you lose, whatever. Okay, fine. So Jared goes to the amp and he beats Providence. If you have the kind of season that you envision for Providence, a couple months down the line, you'll be in the NCAA tournament and you're going to be fine. You'll right? be a better seed. Yeah, right. Like it, it's just, I, I, I shake my head because it's, I, I, I understand how difficult it was for, for Bryant to schedule. And I see both sides of the whole, the, the whole Thomas thing because, 
Could you have scheduled a D2 team instead of a D3 team? I, I don't know. I don't know the inner workings, whatever. I know how frustrating it was for that staff. We've talked to them yep. in terms of putting together a schedule. But, you know, even a school like, you know, and first of all, with the with the Providence thing, Friar fans, I love you. They were the first ones on social media to say, oh, look at Jared. What a bully. Guys, guys, really? Remember <laughs> whose program wouldn't schedule Bryant, right? Remember that, okay? Oh, okay. Just pointing that out. Or, Just or whose, program, that out. Or whose program doesn't whose program doesn't play Brown anymore? Right. Well, I'll leave that one to my my uh, my good friend Scott Cordishi, who's been tooting that horn for years. I'm pandering to Scott with that. I know he's. I know you so are. I'm pandering yeah. to Scott with that one. But but uh, you know, but uh, Providence should take that game. Boston College. Why isn't Boston College playing Bryant? Like where where is where are they at in their in their program right now that they can say like, I'm not taking the Bryant game. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it hurts them a little bit more if they were, if Jared were to go up there and, and beat them. I, I'm not sure. But again, I, I just uh, take the games, man, take the games. And it's exciting. It's great. Think about the buzz that you get for a game. Like if Providence and Bryant were playing this year, oh. Oh, it'd be great buzz. Oh, be fantastic. Sure. sure. Oh be- man. So I just take the games, you know, and, and these things won't, won't happen. I just think it's it's silly that these games aren't being played. Yeah, I mean BC almost lost to Cornell on opening night. So right. there's it, the Bryant. If if you play Bryant and you lose, the Bryant is going to have a better season than Cornell uh, at this point and where both programs are. So yeah. yeah, and then I also found something interesting this weekend. Um, Seton Hall hosted St. Peter's, and obviously yep. we know that St. Peter's went to the Elite Eight. They were led by. Shaheen Holloway, Shaheen Holloway leaves St. Peter's for his alma mater in Seton Hall. He was asked post-game, will St. Peter's, they're both two New Jersey schools, become a regular once again on Seton Hall's schedule? And he goes, I'll play anyone in New Jersey, anytime. That should be the same approach by your other fellow Big East members up here, Connecticut and Providence, specifically, to Nick's point. 100%. And we know that Jared would go to Kingston, he would go to Providence, he would go to Chestnut Hill, he would go to stores for free and play the game. He would take a loss and not get any money for his program just so that they could have some competition to, to play. And you know what? That's going to be a team that most of those squads, UConn, PC, when they're all in the tournament, and URI, are going to see in a first or second game. So why not get the experience sleeping in your own bed playing in front of your home fans on campus at the Excel Center, at the AMP, fill in the blank, and go play Bryant. It's it's a joke. And you can't, can't really fault Jared for running up the score. They only have so many games to get ready for, right? I mean, you're not going to run up the score against D1 opponents. It's, and it's better than an inner squad. So you have no, no, to this, go out. You have this, to go out and use forty minutes to your advantage and play the guys who who you can play. I mean, or else at that point it's just like you're just going to continue to practice, and the guys hate practicing against each other at this point after you've been you know scrapping against each other for five six weeks now. No, this this isn't little league. If you end up winning by a hundred, you win by a hundred. I'm I'm sorry. You know, college sports is big business at this point. Uh, you know, and I get it. Like the visual doesn't look great. You're you're playing against Thomas College. You know, their guys probably. You know, you give them a week off, they'd probably go skiing in Waterville, Maine. It's a beautiful place. You know, I, I don't necessarily know if they're going to work on their free throws at, at that point. And who could blame them? I'd be out on the slopes, too. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't actually ski, folks. It's okay. It's just a metaphor. <laughs> um, you know, but I, yeah. All right. So you win by 100. You're that much better than the team. To both of your points, last year, Bryant played URI as part of the non-bracketed portion of the Sunshine Slam. They did so without Peter Kiss. He was suspended. URI, we saw what happened with them. They were not a good team. They beat Bryant by 20 at the Ryan Center. By 20. And that was a bang average URI team, if not a little worse. Uh, And Bryant, we've gone over how disjointed they were at the start of the year. Obviously, they get crushed by Houston, you know, by 60-odd in a game on the road. And, And they didn't really find themselves until later in December, January. Once they got into NEC play, they played much better. You could have argued how that game would have looked if they had played it in February or March. But at the time when they did play early in the season, URI beat them easily 
Bryant was in the game in the first half. Charles Pride was on an absolute heater for about 25 minutes. And then he ran out of gas because he couldn't carry his teammates all the way over the line. Um, you know, so there is you know, even the best version of Bryant. You know, last year, the end of last year, they lost to Wright State in the first four. Now, Wright State's got a couple of good wins out of the blocks this year, and that's a dangerous program. I, I don't mean to dismiss, you know, Wright State, but you're playing against Providence or BC or UConn. They figure to have better players than than Wright State or or last year's version of URI. Um, you know, to, to Shaheen Holloway's point, I know there was always a lot of criticism out of Kingston that UConn, you know, sort of ended the UConn-URI series. That was an old Yankee conference rivalry that, that dated back, you know, decades. Um, what Jim Calhoun did do while he was at UConn was he pretty consistently played in-state teams, non-conference. You know, he's playing Central Connecticut and Quinnipiac and Sacred Heart and Fairfield. And you could say, oh, it was convenient, you know, and they were soft teams. And, you know, UConn would have a couple non-conference games in Madison Square Garden, and then they go to the Big East and it'd be tougher. And, you know, Calhoun got a lot of flack for that. And there was certainly a lot of anger among the URI fans that UConn would no longer play them. But at the very least, Calhoun was playing in-state teams. He was giving them a chance to knock off the King. He wasn't looking to say, all right, you know, who's <laughs> we got like Saco Valley Community College. Like, we'll put them on the schedule. Uh, you know, there there wasn't really any of that. So, you know, I think Holloway's comments and and obviously Jared's comments about, you know, I'm not going to call off the dogs and, and I'm going to turn my guys loose for 40 minutes. And, you know, yes, you should play a walk on the last eight minutes. That'd be a good idea. You know, you don't want someone to sprain an ankle or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, you they should not be in that position, and and Thomas College shouldn't be in that position either. It was it was it was regrettable. It, it was it was regrettable, and yeah. it was avoidable ultimately. Yep, and I, I you know it it doesn't really need to be said, but I think we all agree, and everybody agrees around here. If you're a you know college basketball fan, like we just want to see the local programs play each other because it's fun. Yes, it's fun to see. It's great. Yes, Providence, Providence has Columbia on the schedule. Play Brown. Come on, guys. Play Brown. Why? Why are we doing that? I I just don't I don't get that, man. And it's fun. It's great. You, you get the alumni coming in. They get to go to the amp. If you're a Bryant fan, Bryant plays Providence. They go over to the amp. It makes for a very unique atmosphere, I'm sure, especially in a year where Bryant is projected to be a top two team in America East, getting to the NCAA tournament. Like, this is all, if you're a fan, it's what you want. You want to see those programs play each other. And Bryant shouldn't have to travel to Tulane to play a game. They should be able to play. They should be able to get on a bus, go down 146, go to the amp, and play the Friars, and we have an enjoyable night. You know, if you're almost going to lose to Ryder at home, I mean, what's the difference? Yeah, I mean, I mean really, there, there there is no difference. Like 66, 65 over Ryder is the same as 66, 65 over Bryant. And you know what? More people will be interested in it. Yep. All right. So Maury's on the record. Ryder Ryder's pretty good. And uh, Providence struggled against them. Coit's on the record. PC fans are cowards, and, and they don't want to play Brown. That's what I just heard. <laughs> hey, don't put words in seconds. my mouth. That's, don't put words good. in my mouth. Good. I like it. I like it. Just It's just better for the sport because also these coaches who are at these programs all were in the same position that Jared was in at Brown. Course, yeah. And I don't want to come yeah. across as like we're all here just smoke, blowing smoke up Jared's rear end and we're just we're on the whole Jared train. We're on the – College basketball as a whole should be better. The bigger yeah. coaches should play the smaller teams all the time. Danny Hurley was at Wagner, then he was at URI. Ed was at Fairfield. Like, they're in the same spot. Just put yourself in those shoes 10, 15 years ago, five, five years ago, 10 years ago. You know, like, they wanted to get those games too when they had those budding programs. Of course they did. Of course they did. Wagner won at Pittsburgh. That's part of what put Dan Hurley on the map. At URI that night when Wagner won at Pittsburgh, Mike LaPrey, uh, former URI SAD, now at Boston College, printed out a box score courtside at the Ryan Center, walked over to Thor Bjorn and said, you might want to take a look at this. Yeah. Because if if there are any thoughts four or five months from now of, of making a change, you might want to take a look at that guy. He's got something. Yep. That was an opportunity. They took advantage of it. 90% of the time, you're going to lose those games. But the other 10, it's going to be really interesting. And when you can play them in state, yeah, we want to see it. Of course we do. Of course yep. we do. Yep. Um, which takes us to Brown, uh, who is off to an 0-3 start. 
two of those losses on the road, uh, one of them at home. I know you guys were there to see the Bears play Colgate, 77-68, a great homecoming for Keegan Records, the South Kingstown native. Um, you know, had 23 points and 10 rebounds in that game. Uh, you know, guys, I, I think two things for me, um, two takeaways from that night at the pits. First thing, Keegan Records is a really good college player. Uh, such a different player than he was coming out of South Kingstown and into the prep ranks at St. Andrews. Um, you know, he is a complete all around dominant big guy at the Patriot League level. Uh, you know, he was. For most of the night, he he was option one or option one A for the Raiders. Uh, you know, was eleven for thirteen from the field. Um, you know, looked really smooth around the basket. Good finisher. Uh, you know, did, wasn't necessarily an offensive player when he came out of South Kingston or or out of St Andrews, but he was that effort, hustle, dirty work guy. Would get on the glass. You know, would really give you an effort on a given night. His first few years there, he was a shot blocker and, and a rebounder. And now he's added a portion to his game that I think is going to allow him to play overseas if he wants to for, for quite a while. He's the type of skilled big that I think would fit in very well in a Euro-type game. And, and honestly, if he wants to spend a fifth year in college and get a graduate degree somewhere, he'll have no shortage of phone calls from power fives and high majors saying, hey, We'll take a 6'10 active big guy like you and give you 15, 20 minutes a game. Perfectly fine with having you on our roster. Yeah, active is the is the right word, you know, and he's just, you're right, he's just polished too now. You know, you can see it in the way that he plays. He's just confident in what he's doing and where he's going. Um, and he's a great kid to boot, you know, and that's yeah. that's always a great thing, kid with a great attitude. Um, you know, a lot of support in the stands too, which was awesome to see. You know, it was a, we had a great moment post game on the on the broadcast where you know I, I basically I asked him this same question twice like what's it like to be you know be home but I kind of pointed at the fans the second time and Coach Hart's there and his high school coach is there and his family's there um, you know so it was really good that's one thing I love that coaches do for their upperclassmen is in certain programs to schedule those games the homecoming games you know to give these kids a chance to play in front of their home fans you know and, and their their families like I, I I love that aspect of it but um, yeah you're right I, I think he's he's improved and and if he were to play a fifth year bill he would be a really solid addition to whoever it is but right now in the, in the current time in the present you know, Colgate is a, it's just a really solid mid-major program. They're really good. And, you know, it's 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 a credit to Coach Lengel and the fact that he recruits, you know, he knows what he needs. He knows what he wants. He knows the way he wants to play. Um, and he brings in guys to do that. And they just they just keep on rolling here. It's it's impressive. Yeah, and I know you were on sideline duty. Maury was sitting next to me during the game, and, and we both had the same sort of takeaway. How is Matt Lengel still at Colgate? Uh, yeah, right. Go and come and, and hired that guy because he's got a wagon going right now in the Patriot League, and and you would think that his style, if, if he's able to get players in, would translate to just about anywhere. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Um, I mean, he's by far would have the best team in the Ivy. Um, I mean, they play the same brand of basketball. Mike Martin alluded to that in the post game press conference. Um, oh, he's good. He's really, really good. Now, granted, I think he's he's probably smart enough to say. All right. If if uh, job X or Y opens at the bottom of a of a bigger league, where I'm not going to have a ton of resources, you know, then it, then it doesn't, you know, mean I should uproot my family and leave and, um, you know, go start a five year rebuilding project. So I think he is smart enough to say, all right, you know, I have something really good going. I am at the top of my league. I've been on the cusp of winning NCAA tournament games. Nothing wrong with that. Going to the dance, 13, 14 seed, and almost beating Tennessee and hanging sure. with uh, Wisconsin or Arkansas or whoever it was. So um, yeah, I, I think he, I think he, he should have a bigger job uh, in a few years. Um, and yeah, if you're an athletic director out there and you happen to be listening to three of us on a, on a Monday talking about Rhode Island basketball, then uh, then you have our endorsement for Matt Langle uh, to coach your program. Uh, but yeah, just to bring it back to Brown, I know it was brought up post game as well, but you know, Mike really, Tested his team early. Um, you talk about two mm. of the better, you know, mid-Atlantic, New England mid-majors. You go Brown, Col I mean, you go Vermont, Colgate to open the year for Brown, and uh, those are two tough tasks. You go on the road, Loyola, decent program in the Patriot, 
Uh, and then I was just looking at their out of conference in general. I mean, they go eight games on the road um, and only five at home with one, maybe two pushovers in UMass Lowell and Maine. But Stony Brook, who they welcome this week, is, you know, for the last five, ten years, really solid teams, been to the dance. New Hampshire has been a middle of the pack America East team. So we're going to continue to learn a lot about Brown. Um, we know that the Ivy's tough. We know that the top four teams in the Ivy are tough, and Brown is yet to, to get through and probably don't see them getting there this year. Um, but that doesn't mean that Mike wants to fill his schedule with a bunch of fluffs, and he wants to try to get you know close to 500 because he went a gaudy 9-1 or 10-2 and two in the non-conference by playing you know teams out of the SWAC and teams out of the MEAC and so on and so forth down the line. These are legitimate teams. These are legitimate games. Um, and he's putting his team up to the test and, and we'll have to see the depth, the depth is the biggest concern in my opinion. Um, I think their starting five is solid, uh, but it doesn't really seem like they have anybody off the bench who can provide much support. Um, and, uh, you know, guys just in different roles, right? I mean, you think about a lot of transition there at Brown, Keno Lilly Jr. First time as a number one piece on a scouting report. He's only a sophomore, like he's 30 games into his college career and, you know, he's getting, you know, the best defender on a, on a given night. Uh, he's getting thrown double teams. Uh, Nana Usu Anane popped last year at North Carolina, but now he's he's power forward number one. Um, and then you just have other role players who are starting in spots where, you know, if you're a really good Ivy team, Dan Friday's your sixth or seventh guy, Paxson Wojcik's your seventh or eighth man, and, and they're thrust into starting lineups. But uh, it's a good team. It's a, still a good brand of basketball. They play hard every single night. Uh, still go out. It's still fun to go out and watch them. Go ahead, yeah, go and I, I'd add this too. Like, yeah, I, I think it's a perfect point about the depth. You know, the fact that they are taking a lot of guys off the bench right now and throwing them in there and saying, like, all right, let's see what they can do. You know, there's a there's a search a little bit there for the depth, um, and that's just something that I I took away and noticed, particularly in the front court, because I think you have a lot of good guards. Um, there's a there's a lot of guys that that can play there. You know, you mentioned Friday, Lily. Um, you know, a guy like Akimo Ferrari, I think, is a is a solid defender. Um, you know, it's just searching for some of that depth. They're younger. They're younger. This is a this isn't a year where last year I think there were a lot of expectations because on paper Brown was very very talented, obviously. Mm. Um, you know, but this year it's a little bit more. You know, searching for and seeing what uh, what steps forward here for Brown. But yeah, kudos to Mike for scheduling the way he has. If you want a positive out of it they hung around with these two teams that potentially are NCAA tournament teams to start. So that's a, that's a real, real positive enough on their first two games. Yeah. He's, he played the America East favorite in Vermont on the road, a uh, nice homecoming for TJ Sorrentine, but as TJ would know more than anyone, a very difficult place to go. Uh, you know, certainly uh, he plays a Patriot league favorite at home in Colgate. Uh, he plays the America East number two in Bryant. On the road, uh, Mike is not afraid to schedule Bryant home or away. Uh, he he will play the Bulldogs. Um, you know that game comes up in December, I think, if if memory serves. Well, it's great because it's December second that Friday, and then that Saturday, December third, I believe, if I got my dates right. But it's Friday, Saturday, Brown Bryant, PCURI. And it is it is the to prelude our, to uh, Rams Friars. That is correct. To our point, Bill, we look at that on the schedule and we say. That's a marquee time in our college basketball season. How great is it for the sport in the state that these two programs are playing, that these other two programs are playing? Makes our point a bit. Circled on my calendar for sure. Uh, You know, and I I look around the other night and, you know, some of what Mike had to say post-game I I thought was very instructive. The fact that he wants to play with more tempo. I think he realizes his team's a little bit on the small side and that his guards are, you know, his most talented pieces and, and he wants to get out and run a little bit. Um, you know, they started to force some turnovers in the second half when they made their run against Colgate. They got a, a 15 point deficit all the way down to three. And a lot of that was was work they did in transition. Um, you know, he realizes that they're going to need to make threes uh, to win with this team. You're going to have to score from the perimeter uh, five for 18 against Colgate. That's not going to get it done. You know, he said we need to be closer to 10 in a given game. We need more perimeter offense. Um you know, Nana Wusunane was was good in that game. Uh, Kalu Anya flashed. I, I think he's got something. Um, you know, you wonder what Malachi Nadir is going to be able to give you off the bench. I, I think that's the guy they're waiting to take a step forward. Um, you know, and they need to because he's really their 
their third pure front court player. Otherwise, they are very small in terms of the lineups they're going to play. It's going to be four guards around Owusu Inane or, or even Anya, who's only about six seven. Uh, you know, you playing him as a small ball five. Uh, so it's it's a different style than what they had when they had Tamanangcho and Jalen Ganey. It's just a very different lineup. It's different combinations. And I think Mike acknowledges that with the fact, you know, when he comes out and says, we need to push pace and we need to shoot threes and we need to turn teams over. I, I think he's got a very good idea of who his team is already and, and what they can do. It's just a matter of getting that to a place where they will play the way he wants them to play. Um, you know, and that's, we'll find out who and what they are over the course of the next few weeks. They've got Stony Brook on Thursday, as Maury said, uh, three game homestand coming up here with Stony Brook, UMass Lowell and Maine. Um, you know, so a chance to get well at the pits. We'll, we'll see what Brown is able to do with it. Um, we should turn our attention since we did, you know, just sort of brush on rivalries there, uh, to a big women's game in the state on Monday night, Providence visits URI. Uh, you know, let's say the undercard for December 3rd here. Uh, the ladies getting after it. Uh, URI had a very impressive win at PC last year. Um, you know, and I know that that's a game that that uh, Tammy Reese has circled because it's a chance to play a Big East opponent in her building. You're not necessarily going to get that every night. Um, you know, it's a great opportunity for, for URI, uh, for resume game. Um, you know, potentially a team that if Providence is able to finish, you know, fifth or sixth in the Big East, they're off to a 2-0 start now. They've already picked off Dayton, uh, you know, and handled Stonehill pretty well. Um, you know, you're you're looking at Providence. Maybe, you know, if these sophomores grow up a little bit, you know, maybe they outperform that eighth-place finish uh, that was predicted for them preseason, and, and maybe that could be a little bit of a resume win for the Rams. If, if you're looking at the Friars, you're thinking this is a great chance for us, you know, to see how much we can grow here. Good road test at a team that finished second in their league last year, a team that was two wins away from the NCAA tournament. That's what you want to expose players like Olivia Olson and Kylie Shepard and, and uh, you know, the, their classmates in that sophomore group. You want them to be tested in that way. Um, you know, so at the Ryan Center, 6 o'clock tip on Monday, I, I think this is a great game for both schools, uh, not only from the rivalry aspect for – but from where they are as programs right now at this point in time. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see that the the results obviously were mixed in the first two for the roadie women because, you know, you you lose a, a tough one at Harvard and then all of a sudden <laughs> you put it together against Dartmouth. Oh. I mean, whoo, you know, that was, that was impressive. Um, you know, and so, yeah, seeing some of the, the, the big names uh, for these programs that have stood out so far, um, I know Bill is really high on Olsen for PC, um, you know, seeing a, a player like Grooms go down and, and, and play at the Ryan Center, you know, hometown girl, um, you know, that's a great thing to see, um, you know, and, and Lassiter, I think so far, she's, she's interesting to me, you know, the fact that she stepped forward in that Dartmouth game, but there's, there's a lot of players for Rhodey that it's, this is, it's very early for this. And so I'm interested to see how it sort of comes together, obviously, you know, I don't know what happened between game one and game two for the Rams, but something happened because they played really, really well in that second game. Um, <laughs> My but, guess would be it, that Tammy Reese happened in the locker room. <laughs> Watch out, everybody. <laughs> something something along those lines. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's great to see uh, that they'll play tonight and I'm looking forward to to seeing where it goes because you're right. It's, a, it's an interesting time and it's early in the season, too. Yeah, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, last year the women deserved more attention than the men down in Kingston, and I think this, the case is the same this year. So, um, you know, while you're waiting for a tip-off on Tuesday, you might as well get down there and watch them on Monday um, because they deserve just as much attention. I know it's intriguing to have a new coach in Archie Miller there. Uh, you want to see what he can do on the men's side, but uh, Tammy Reese is a proven winner. Um, she's somebody who you know, has ignited a lot of, uh, a lot of fire into that program. Um, a lot of, um, a lot of confidence, uh, 10 year contract. She's going to be around for a while. So, so take a ride down to Kingston on Monday night, uh, check out the roadie women, uh, because they deserve the attention. They deserve the love. Uh, they deserve the opportunity to play in front of a lot of fans and to gain your trust to continue to gain, um, you know, you sitting there in the Ryan Center and, and watching this program play, it's going to be 
another program, another team, another year that finishes top half of the A-10. Um, and we'll have a chance to get to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, first game against Harvard, not great. Second game against Dartmouth, a little more like it. Five players in double figures for the Rams. Uh, as Coity mentioned, Sayani Lasseter had 16 in that game in only 19 minutes. Um, you know, really controlled the pace. You, you had, uh, you know, some good efforts off the bench as well. Uh, Emmy Renat had 12. She was four for nine from three. Somebody who showed at times last year that, that she could really shoot it. Um, but was a freshman, a young player, and, and wasn't necessarily able to to crack that very tight rotation that, that Tammy Reese had. She only really went six or seven deep in, in the really important games. Um, you know, and I know that they're looking for a little more growth out of players like Emmy Renat and, and a few others. Sophie Phillips got some pretty good minutes in that game the other night against Dartmouth. That's a guard who they were high on when they recruited her. Um, you know, we still haven't seen Tenen Magasa yet. You you wonder if you know, she's able to debut at some point, transfer from Dayton, uh, 6'5 rim protector, you know, someone who's going to be a big part of, of what they do going forward. Um, you know, I know she had a shoulder injury at the end of last year. I would imagine that this is physical in nature. Uh, you know, we'll get an update on her tonight. Um, you know, you look at the Friars and, and Dayton obviously has had big changes, uh, you know, lost a significant amount of players, lost Shauna Green to Illinois. Um, former Providence assistant, she's a superstar coach. It, it was just a matter of time before somebody came in for her. Um, you know, but you look at what Providence is able to do, beating Dayton to start off and, and then following that up by really smothering Stonehill. Uh, you know, it was a game where Stonehill really struggled from the field, 12 for 51, 5 for 29 for 3. Um, you know, really Providence just, just wore them down uh, inside and out. You, you had... You know, you got pretty good balance across the lineup in that game. Uh, you know, Jim Crowley had six different players who played at least 20 minutes, 10 different players who played at least 13. I, I don't know if that's just based on opponent or if that's the approach he's going to take with this group over the course of the year. He certainly got options among them. Olivia Olson had 13 and five. Janae Crooms only had nine points in this game, only played 23 minutes. It, it was almost like, you know, hey, I'm going to lean on you some other nights and we're going to need you for 35 minutes and, and we're going to need you to take 20 shots. Uh, but this isn't going to be one of them, Janae. So just take a step back. And, you know, when we play URI on the road and, you know, when we play UConn or people like that, yeah, you're going to play, you know, something closer to 35, 36 minutes in a game. But this isn't going to be one of those. So just, uh, you know, relax and and your teammates will take care of it. Well, she's tough too. So, like, you know, her playing style, Bill. Like, I, hey, if you have a night where you can do that with her, yeah, save some of the minutes. She's um, putting miles on right out there. Oh, it's yeah, not a, it's not a. Yeah, you're right. That's a good tough. point. Oh my goodness! Like, I yeah, I I enjoy watching Janae play the way that she played. You know, even when she was at St. Andrews too. Like, it's yeah, she's she's tough, and nobody likes you know nobody. You know, likes anything more than a than a tough player. So you know somebody that's not afraid to go to the basket. You know, um, so yeah, I I enjoy watching play. Another thing I'll note too, I was I, you know going through last week. You know, Maury and I and and you too, Bill. Were you know there's it was National Signing Day Wednesday, and so you're watching some of the obviously we're running around to high school programs where we see some of the you know names and you know the big programs around here and who they're signing. Uh, they got a girl. The Friars got a girl from Hamden, Maine, the Hamden Academy. I was like. All right, little Hamden Academy in Hamden, Maine, just outside of Bangor. Like, good for you. That's the program I covered when I was a small market TV reporter. So, just something to note. Interesting. Oh, and 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 before you became a big time TV reporter here, right? That's that's, <laughs> that's, that's what we did. That's, that's well, Hamden Academy, a very very nice place. Um, you know they and they they do well with their athletic athletic programs up there. So I was just I saw it and I was like, huh, all right. Nice. No, notice Mark how he dodged names. that. He didn't address that directly. He just he just was like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, yes, I am a big time TV reporter. Yes, that's correct. Dogs are barking in the background. I had to stay muted. <laughs> just coincidence. <laughs> nice, nice, <laughs> nice. No, but Coit, you said it. Uh, I mean, women's basketball in in Maine has had a great legacy. You know, going back to yeah. Cindy Blodgett, and you know, if you have. A college player who scores 3,000 points and is an All-American, that that tends to have an effect on the generations that follow. And, and I mean, there are states who, rec- you know, there are schools who recruit Maine pretty extensively. Uh, you know, the university has had a fair amount of success 
you know, in their own right. Um, you know, so that makes total sense to to me. Yeah. That, that you well, interesting. You go back. Interesting that that Jim Crowley and and the staff would would swipe a player out of Maine with how successful that the women's program has been at the at the university too. Interesting. Yeah. Due respect to the Black Bears, but you know, Providence being in the Big East, it has some oh, yeah. gold. You know, you get to play UConn a couple times. You know, why wouldn't you want to compete against the best the sport has to offer if you have a chance to? Um, you know, and certainly. You, know, you can play good competition in Maine, but if you get a chance to go to a Providence or, uh, you know, somewhere like Seton Hall or, you know, someone like St. John's and, and you get a chance to play UConn or, or DePaul, um, you know, Villanova, certainly. Uh, I mean, you want to compete against those teams. If if you're sure. worth your salt as an athlete, you that's that's how you want to be tested. And, right. uh, yeah, I think that's how we arrive at URI playing Providence. Uh, you know, really will enjoy that one Monday night. Uh, we look at the other two women's teams in the state. Brown is on the board uh, after winning at Wagner. Uh, that was on Sunday. The Bears 75-62 to 62, uh, on the road on Staten Island. Uh, Kyla Jones went off in this game, 32 points, 13 for 18 from the field. She played 38 minutes. Um, come on, teammates, jump on my back. Here we go. Uh, I mean, that if you're going to get that kind of secondary scoring, maybe even lead scoring uh, alongside Bella Mauricio, who had 16, um, you could see last year she just needed a running mate. And, and if Kyla Jones is going to look like this on a nightly basis, Maybe we could raise the floor a little bit for Brown. I, I know they're picked eighth in the league, and Monique LeBlanc said, "Yeah, we we deserve to be there. We haven't won anything, uh, you know." And that's going to be the pregame speech, as we said on the pod last week. She's going to say, "Hey, they don't think much of you. You're picked eighth. Everyone thinks that you're a bad team, you know, whatever." But if they could develop a, a secondary or, or third star to go along with Mauricio, really pop last year, that raises the floor on Brown for sure. Sure. Yeah, and I, I'm interested. I have not seen them play yet. Uh, I'm going to see them on Wednesday, so uh, I'll have more of a uh, more of a take or analysis or whatever you want to call it uh, here on the pod uh, coming up. But I'm interested to see how they how they look. But that's that's a great sign if you have a running mate for for Bella. Yeah, they got uh, Sacred Heart at home uh, on Wednesday, seven o'clock tip at the Pizzatola Center. ESPN Plus, Coit. Yes. Is yep. uh, is Nesson picking up any of those? Uh, I'd have to look. Yeah, at some point they will. Um, they'll pick up on some of the men's and women's. Um, sometimes that's some plus too, but it's very spotty random. But yeah, ESPN Plus is always a good place to go. Okay, excellent. Cheap, cheap. I think, in my opinion, you know, streaming service for all that you get in terms of content wise, right? Is is this in your contract? Do you have to say these things? No, no, not at all. Do you get free? Do you get free ESPN Plus? No, 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 you, no. no? No, I have the Disney Plus bundle with Hulu and nice. ESPN Plus. Nice. Oh yeah, oh that gets me a lot of content. I got to catch up on Andor after I uh, after I get off the pod with you guys. <laughs> I, I will tell you that I do pay for ESPN Plus. I, I am a supporter, uh, you know, because I am a college hoops degenerate like uh, the you you are the two gentlemen here. Certainly, uh, Bryant is off to two zero start. Bryant played a a D three that's. Near and dear to Coity's heart in their last game, Emerson. Coit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Emerson taking a 111-27 drubbing. Oh, no. Bulldogs. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Uh, I feel for them. I, hey, look, it's, you know, Emerson has played Bryant before, which is funny. There's like a there's like a history here with this because um, the men's program did it. Uh, Who's the number of years ago? Um, so, you know, but they're not afraid. I, Hey, look, coach Gould's a great guy. So I, you know, he's getting the experience for his players, no matter what. So I, I, I tip of the cap to him. He's a, he's a great coach. Oh, sad trumpets in the background from Saturday. Just an absolute <laughs> drubbing, uh, schedule gets a lot tougher for Bryant coming up. They have a two game swing through Pennsylvania at Pittsburgh on Wednesday at Penn state on Friday. Um, you know, so Mary Burke is going to find out a little bit more about her team in, in those two. Uh, they figured off a little more of a test than Dartmouth and, and Emerson. All due respect, Coit, of course. Totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> totally fine. Um, you guys, I, I assume you guys will be joining me in Kingston Monday night. Is that correct? 
Uh, I don't know if I will be there. Uh, either me or my uh, my my teammate, uh, Ian Steele. So one yep. of us. But yeah, Same keep here. my we eye on it at a, least. We will have a representative down there. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, What do you guys have coming up? If If you had a if you had one game to circle this week, I mean, it, it's well, it's an unfair question because it's probably Mohegan. It's probably Providence. At yeah, that, that's yeah. probably. Yeah, that, that's probably, you know, what we would look toward this week. Those those are probably the showcase games. Yeah. Um, you know, I certainly anticipate going down there. I would imagine the Friars would draw well there. You, oh, you yeah. have to think so. I, I know when you or I plays there, they do really well in terms of the stance. Uh, you know, so I'd have to think that the PC would do reasonably well in in those two games. I, I mean, I remember they played Notre Dame and Florida State there before and in, in you know, did a really good number. They played UConn in an exhibition a few years ago and, and did a really good number there. Yeah. Um, you know, about 75 or 600, I think, for an exhibition game. So that'll be that'll be worthwhile. Um, well, look, Bill, I know that for Rhode Islanders, an hour and 15 hour, 20 minute drive is a long drive. It's not that long. <laughs> Don't be so. soft. Get in the car. <laughs> get in the car. Go ahead. Make a weekend out of it. Put this podcast on. It'll get you most of the way there. Exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. Maury, any parting shots? Exactly. Parting shots? Yeah. No, no parting shots. I'm uh Okay. I think uh I think that tournament in Mohegan will sort of kickstart Feast Week, which is great. You know, I missed I missed the 24-hour college basketball marathon. Yes. Me too. Uh Feast yes. Week is great. You've got all the two, the three, the four-day tournaments. Uh you've got your you've got your classics and then you've also got these uh these other upstart classics as well um that have begun. Um, some of these, like whether they're on campus or whether it's just a neutral site for a bunch of mid-majors, um, the Hall of Fame tip-offs, things like that. I know Brian's got one against Liberty, which is a really good game. We'll get to December seventeenth in Springfield. Phenomenal, two 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 great mid-majors. Uh, oh, there they go. They're excited. Too. Hey, they're excited. Too. Hey, I know you're excited for college hoops. I know, but. Uh, yeah, no, it'll be it'll be uh, it should be a great weekend down there. Four o'clock tip time. I mean, that's great to go to a casino and uh, check out a check out a, a game, uh, and then be able to go to the casino would be great. Not not that I would ever partake in anything uh, before or after <laughs> yeah. the game, but uh, yeah. I I would advise perhaps you know a, a beverage or two beforehand the game, and then a nice dinner at any number of the restaurants on the Mohegan property or, or surrounding area. Uh, make a very nice Saturday of it for sure. Mm-hmm. I would think so. Um, but that's just me. You know, <laughs> you live life around this stuff. It's just kind of like, that's my thought process. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's good or bad or what that says about me, but I think that's a good place to leave off and uh, call <laughs> my therapist. Uh, so, so we're going to leave it there. Uh, Folks, we thank you for tuning in. As always, uh, enjoy the games. We will be back at some point. Uh, Watch out for us on social media uh, and coming to you through your content players as you find us. Thank you very much.